Southern Hills, it is wonderful, wonderful to be here with you all. Uh, I have been looking forward to this day for a couple of months now, and, and just as I begin, can I just take a moment? Can I just take a moment to say how grateful I am, how deeply grateful I am to be able to be with this church? I have served and I have lived in many places. Uh, I have uh, enjoyed my time in ministry in places like Amarillo and Winters and Belton and now Waco, but I want you to know that no matter where I go, you are always my home. You are always my people. You are always the ones that I carry around. You're the voices that I hear. And so many of you have shaped me and you have made me who I am. And I am deeply thankful for the opportunity to be here. And I promise I'm not going to cry the whole time. <laughs> but I told my kids that every square inch of this building holds memories, holds moments for me. And I think about all the things that we did and how we would meet uh, together, have Sunday night services. And as soon as that was done, we would run to Crystal's Pizza and then go to... I hear some amens going on there, and then we would go to somebody's house and have a devo, and um, all the, just the rituals, all the routines, all the, the memories, and, and it's just a, a compiling of these memories that really made me who I am today. Because when I came to Southern Hills, I, I needed this church. I was a really insecure kid, and I didn't know, I didn't have a good sense of who I was. I'll give you a picture of what I was like. I was a band nerd, okay? Cooper High School uh, band nerd. I was a freshman uh, in, in high school there, and our band got the invitation to come and march at a Cowboys football game. Uh, we were excited. We were pumped about this. And so we worked hard on our show. We had everything ready to go. Uh, and then the day came for the event. We went up to Dallas. We spent the night in Dallas, went to the stadium the next morning. Uh, and we had, before anyone else was in the stadium, we got to do a practice run. We got to do a march through of our show. And I remember at one point of the show, I was right there in the middle of the field. I was on that star, the famous star in the middle of the field. And I thought, how cool is this? I get to be right here in this moment. Well, the practice came and it went and, and then the game started and uh, then halftime comes around and it's time for us to put on the show. And so we get out there and we give it everything we got. We started with a power opener, Old Man River. And then we went into... The smooth ballad, Georgia on my mind, and everything was going great. And then it was time for the drum feature. And all I had to do during that was just basically walk with the other people, okay? Um, and I'm in my line, I'm doing my thing, and then I come to that moment where I'm on the star in the middle of Texas City in front of 65,000 fans, and I do my snap turn where we go one way and then turn and go the other way, except I turned a count early and I smacked into the person who was just behind me and now is right in front of me and I hit them and I fell down on the star <laughs> in front of 65,000 people, and I never recovered from that. 
I stand before you today as a broken man. <laughs> I was a mess. I, I, I lost my focus. After that moment happened, I, I couldn't regain my focus. I didn't know what I was supposed to do next. There was another moment that came, and literally the person behind me had to just shove me into place on the field, just escort me as we went. And as the show goes, um, is over, we all go off the, the sidelines, and there was a video, a VHS recording of, that someone made of this event, and the, the CBS camera crew comes and sweeps through and shows all of these really happy high school kids, you know, coming off the field. They had just done that, and they were excited and jazzed, and there was this one Lord Farquaad-looking kid that was <laughs> crying as the crowd, as the camera passed. That was me. It was such a huge event, and it turned out in my life to be a huge disappointment. Well, the gospel of Matthew starts off and talks about Jesus and makes no bones about it. Jesus is a huge event. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, makes this claim. The, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, right from the start. Matthew wants us to know that Jesus is not like anyone else you've encountered. He's not just a carpenter. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a rabbi. He's not just a man. In fact, this is God's promised one, the Messiah, the one in whom God is going to bring completion to the covenants made from Abraham and also in David. This is the main event. This is the blockbuster. If you could make this one verse into a movie trailer, it would be showing us a movie like Avengers, action, excitement. You would want to be a part of this. And yet, even within this, as the word about Jesus comes out and the word Messiah begins to be used, people are looking for a huge event, but many others are experiencing what they think is a huge disappointment. And let me explain why. Because to us, we think about the word Christ or the word Messiah as Jesus' last name. Like if you were going to get a driver's license, it would say Christ, comma, Jesus. Or we associate that with, with saying Christ, the Son of God. It comes easy to us. But a Jewish person living in Judah in the first century would have heard this word Messiah, and it has a very specific connotation to them. They hear Messiah, and they think warrior. They think conqueror. They think military leader. The job of the Messiah was to kick out and boot out the oppressor and to take over and take their place and restore David's kingdom and sit on a throne in Jerusalem. And so the crowds came from all over. When they hear about Jesus, they, they get people to cover their chores or they just leave their farming and they leave their trades and they, and they travel for days to come and hear Jesus and come and see Jesus. And they have that question, what if this is really true? What if Jesus really is the Messiah? What if God's kingdom really is going to break in right in front of us? What if this is the moment that we've all been waiting for? And so the crowds came and Jesus blessed and he healed and he drove out demons and as we would see, this would be such a magnificent thing. The frustration 
and the disappointment grew deeper and deeper because not of what Jesus is doing, but what he is not doing. He has the charisma to to attract the crowds. He has the ability, the God-given ability to do so many things. Think about what he does. Commands the seas and they obey him. To bring back people from the dead, to heal disease, to feed 5,000 men. Jesus can do all of these things. Now, if you think through this in a military perspective, what does Jesus seem like to you? Jesus seems like a super weapon. Who wouldn't follow this guy? He could feed your army, he could command the weather. He could defeat the enemy. If he has dominion over the spiritual realm, what do you think he has over the army that would oppose? He could heal the sick. He could bring your casualties back from the dead. Who wouldn't follow Jesus? And yet, Jesus spends his time teaching. And he spends his time with the people who don't seem to matter. He heals a a, a woman that nobody even knows her name. He goes and heals a Roman soldier's child. He he goes and he does all of of these things and, and he keeps on giving and healing all of these people and it doesn't seem to make a difference And he goes around forgiving sin and he keeps on saying these words, the kingdom of heaven is near, the kingdom of heaven is among you. And as a Jewish person, you would finally raise your hand and say, when? You keep on saying this, but when do we get to the real business of killing Romans, of driving out the oppressor? That's when we're gonna know that the kingdom is here. And so they grew frustrated with Jesus And they grew frustrated with him because the hype didn't seem to match up with the promise. And the reality was different. And they said, this is different than what we were expecting. Because we were expecting someone to rise up against the Romans. And you're talking about walking the extra mile for them. We're expecting someone to wage war. And you're saying, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We're talking about swinging swords, and you're over here saying carry crosses. Jesus, we came for the Avengers, and you're giving us the notebook. (laughs) And it doesn't seem right. When are you going to get down to doing the business that the Messiah is supposed to get down and do? And we can look at Jesus with the same set of lenses, Because if you asked a Jewish person in their day, what is the big problem going on? They'd be able to tell you and they'd say, it's Rome, it's the politics. And they would list all these things and they'd say, the Messiah's going to fix that. And we have our own list of our big problems. And the big things that we want straightened out. We look at the board and we would put politics, child trafficking, poverty in the world. The pandemic, we would put all of these things on there and we could walk away 
frustrated because we can come and gather together in church and we sing songs and we hear scriptures and we hear people say the kingdom of God is among you and yet we're left with big problems in this world and we can say, Jesus, when are you going to get down to the work? When are you really going to take care of the problems? So Jesus turned to a frustrated crowd who was looking for the blockbuster, the huge event. And he speaks these words, these words that we have recorded in Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 and 32. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. And though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows... It is the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. One of the great blessings of my life has been to be able to travel to the Holy Lands with Jeff and Jamie Carroll. And many of you know Jeff and of course his his family goes to church here. Uh, And on one of the first days of our journeys together, we would stop and and Jeff would point at the ground and he would have us all look around um, at the ground that we're on and he would say, okay, do you see what you're standing on? And we would look and see all of these little, you know, green weeds with, with little yellow flowers coming out of them. And he said, that is mustard. This is a mustard plant. And we look and there's mustard everywhere. And it doesn't matter where you go, you see mustard plants Uh, And in fact, we have them here in our own country, and and we go along, and you see this everywhere. In fact, this is a weed. It's an invasive species. Once mustard gets going, it's hard to get out. And so when Jesus says these words, I guarantee people were in the crowd, and they were laughing, because no gardener in their right mind would plant a mustard seed. In fact, They spend all of their time trying to get the mustard out of their garden, not put it into the garden. And Jesus is saying, imagine if you took that invasive species and you actually planted it. And then you watch it grow. And then he says these other words that would have brought a a smile and a laugh to people's faces. He says it would grow to be a a great mighty tree. Now the truth is, is that mustard plants can get big. They can form, you know, brush. But they don't become trees. This is something that requires such imagination. And if we knew the text the way they knew the text, we would understand that that he is making a reference to Ezekiel 17 and Daniel 4, where the image of a mighty tree giving shade and shelter to the birds, that's kingdom language. And so he's just given us something to hold on to. He's telling us what this kingdom is going to be like. He could have come and he could have focused on the big issues of the day. He could have worked on the big hairy problem. He could have worked their plan and he could have worked their playbook. But Jesus had a different perspective. Jesus is going to run his heavenly father's plan and his heavenly father's agenda. And God has a different point of view than we do God, and this might be a shocker for you, so listen to this. God thinks larger than you think. God thinks larger than we think. 
We, we think in, in terms of days and months. God, God thinks in terms of generations and ages. We, we think in terms of this life that we have here. God, God sees a perspective of eternity. We think in terms of our own preferences and our own rights. God thinks in terms of justice and righteousness. God thinks larger than we think. And because of this, God sees much smaller than we see. This is the God that Scripture tells us attends the funeral of every bird that falls to the ground. This is the God who numbers the very hairs on our heads, which is more impressive for some than others. <laughs> this is the God who clothes and presents all of the flowers in the fields. God sees much smaller because God thinks so much larger than us. And so we want to focus on the trees but Jesus says, focus on the seed that is planted now. If you took a seed and put it under a microscope and looked into it deeply, you would see that that seed contains all of the elements of the tree that is to follow. That if you were to look and, and inspect that, you would understand that there is a continuity between the seed and the tree. They look very different, but they contain the same elements. And in the same way, Jesus is saying that the fullness of God's kingdom can be found in the smallest acts of faith. That the fullness of God's kingdom are found in the smallest moments of service. And so Jesus says, focus on those mustard seed moments. And mustard seeds are tiny, they're small, they're so small that, that you would miss it unless you were looking for it. Only the most observant could find it. And so Jesus invested his time and his attention on the very people that the Caesars and the Pilots and the Kings would never, ever notice. That's why he heals a blind beggar. That's why he brings back the son of a nameless woman. He, he heals a Gentile's servant. He forgives an adulteress. He chooses, chooses to invest in fishermen rather than in the Illuminati. He talks about that we will be evaluated not on how we respond to the rich, the powerful, and the politicians, but we will be judged based on how we respond to the poor, the naked, the prisoner, the powerless. He commissions his followers not to topple empires, but to preach the good news of the gospel because the fullness of God's kingdom is found in the mustard seed moment, not in that blockbuster move. Jesus wants us to focus on the mustard seed moment. Jesus was so thoroughly rejected on this earth um, because he thought with his father's perspective. He thought larger 
and therefore he saw smaller than anyone else. And we, as Jesus' followers, we must do the same thing. We must think larger, and we must see much smaller. Because if we think with the perspective of God, then we will see the kingdom in the smallest details. And that's how the fullness of God's kingdom will come today. I am shaped and I am formed because of mustard seed moments. When I came to Southern Hills, I told you that I was an awkward student. I was in a place in my life where I, looking back, I realized I was looking for a way to fit in with any group. And I would have become almost anything just to be able to fit in. And so it was that after a Sunday night service, we went out to Crystal's Pizza and then we went to someone's house. Someone had said, the youth group can come over to our house. I don't even remember whose house it was. But I remember that we were there in that devotional and we were singing and we were praising and I looked around the room. And I can still see the faces. Jay, Garrick, David, Alyssa, Bonky, Cheryl, Paul, Chris. And as I looked around that room, I realized that I loved them. And they loved me. And in that moment, I found my place. I found my fit. Now, I had been baptized into Christ years before. But God used, through his grace, he used this church to save me. John Womble took a week off of work to go as a sponsor on a mission trip with the youth group. It was my first time to go on a mission trip. We went to San Diego, California. We went down to Tijuana, Mexico to to work with Habitat for Humanity for a day. Our job, the job that we got, wasn't to construct houses. It was all that had already been done. Our job was to tear down the shower houses that had been set up there. It was gross work. And we spent all day tearing down these temporary shower houses And I was going through all this nasty trash, and we were throwing these things away, and I came across a bar of, hotel bar of soap, and I was about to throw that away, and then John said to me, he was one of the youth deacons at the time, and just said, Jordo, he said, why don't you save that, put it under the fence, and maybe someone here will be able to use that. And I looked up, and I looked around, and for the first time, I saw, really saw, the great need and the great poverty around me. And, I, and, and in that moment, God planted a seed that you would nurture. It would call my life to a life of service and ministry. Hosting a devotional at a house. Giving up a week's vacation to sponsor a mission trip. Like mustard seeds, you're not even looking for it. 
But like a mustard seed, we have no idea how big it can grow and how much the impact of a small act of kindness done in great love can be. The foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of humans. And so we think in terms of mustard seeds, not mighty trees. And I'm not against vision. I'm not against strategy. Jesus was a strategizer and a visionary on a scale that I can't imagine, but he knows that vision and strategy will never happen without men and women willing to do mustard seed moments. See, in his day, the people wanted him to crush and overthrow the Roman Empire, and Jesus did. He just did it 300 years later than they wanted him to in a way that they could never imagine or expect. See, in Roman society, if you had a child or a pregnancy that you didn't want, you could legally leave your child outside of the city gates and expose them to the elements and let them die. The Christians began to come and walk around the walls of the city and take in these babies who had been left and they raised them as their own. And when the plagues hit the Roman Empire, the people abandoned their own families. They abandoned all those who were sick and they literally escaped the towns. But the Christians came in and they cared for those people who were sick. And they set up the very first things that we call hospitals. And in Roman society, a slave was less than nothing. A slave was nothing at all. But Christians, in their assemblies, they said that the slaves are just as important as everyone else. And in fact, the slaves would become honored leaders among their churches. And small act by small act, and mustard seed by mustard seed, the kingdom grew and expanded throughout the ages until it has become a mighty kingdom under which we take our shade today. See, the world would love to debate and to argue over these great arguments, but no one can ever argue against the greatest and the smallest act of love given in great faith. And church, I want to thank you for recklessly planting mustard seeds. And we look forward to a day when we can all stand together with God and see how the tiniest acts of kindness have led to the fullness of God's great kingdom. I want to invite you all to stand and pray with me. God, thank you so much for giving us the largest vision, the largest strategy. And so, Lord, we ask you again to give us the smallest eyes to see. May we notice the things that this world would never notice. May we invest in the moments that this world would never celebrate. 
May we recklessly abandon greatness in terms of mustard seed moments. And in all things, may your kingdom come. And may your will be done on this earth just as it is in heaven. And we hallow your name. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen.